This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our scripture that was read came from the gospel according to Matthew, the 14th chapter, and the 13th through the 21st verses. I want to just lift up the 16th verse where it says, But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Pete Rose, the famous baseball player, was being interviewed in spring training the year that he was about to break Ty Cobb's all-time hits record. During the interview, the reporter asked him, Pete, you only need 78 more runs in order to break the record. How many at-bats, meaning how many times do you need to go and bat, do you think you'll need in order to get the 78 hits? Without hesitation, Pete stared at the reporter and in a very matter-of-factly way said to the reporter, 78. The reporter replied, oh, come on, Pete. You don't expect to get 78 hits in 78 at-bats, which really means, for those who don't understand baseball, what he's saying is that every time he goes up to hit the ball, he's going to hit it. So he only needs 78 more at-bats to make the number. Pete then calmly shared his philosophy with all of the reporters who were anxiously waiting his reply to what appeared to be a very boastful claim. Pete said, every time I step up to the plate, I expect to get a hit. If I don't expect to get a hit, I have no right to step into the batter's box in the first place. If I go up hoping to get a hit, then I probably don't have a prayer to get a hit. It's a positive expectation that has gotten me all the hits I've had in the first place. Pete Rose was no stranger to making hits, and because he was so successful, his at-bat expectation were quite realistic. In other words, he expected to get a hit because he had made many hits before, and he had no reason to believe that any at-bat would be different this time. Pete expected a hit because Pete knew who he was and that he could hit. If our expectations are not based on reality or facts, then it is highly likely that our lives will be filled with disappointment because we will then be living with unrealistic expectations. And as I've often said, our disappointments are never based on what we find. Our disappointments are always based on what we expected to find. So the questions then become, how do we know when our expectations are unrealistic? And how do we set realistic expectations? Furthermore, upon what should those expectations be based? 
These, my brothers and sisters, are very important questions to ask as we contemplate the importance of having realistic expectations. And in the context of our scripture text this morning, I'll attempt to provide a response to our curiosity in a message I have titled, Great Expectations. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on your preacher one more time. Father, no one came to hear me, but they all came with expectations. Not from the preacher or the pastor, but from you. So may our expectations be grounded in the reality of who you are and who they are in you. Bless this word now we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In our text, Jesus needed to find a secluded place because he was saddened by the news that his cousin John the Baptist had been killed. But Jesus' popularity at this time had risen to the point where even as he was trying to grieve the death of his cousin, the people still sought him out and found him. In fact, Jesus even decided to get into a boat, push out off the shore, out at sea, because every time he would go to a mountain, the people would find him. But even as he was out on that boat in a secluded place, the people found out where he was, and the text tells us they came on foot from cities all around, and they camped out on the shore just to get to him. So here we have Jesus needing to grieve his own cousin's death, yet seeing all of these people with their own needs, seemingly without any concern for what he might be needing himself. Jesus, it seems, had an expectation that the people would understand, if only this one time, that he needed some time away, and that they would respect that. But no! The people needed what they needed, and they needed it now. It's my need, and I need it now. So what if Jesus had lost his cousin? So? So what if Jesus was exhausted? So what if Jesus needed a break? So what if Jesus needed a little rest? So what? And likewise, for those of us who serve in ministry, or even some of you who care for the needs of others, so what if you've been working a double? Come on, preacher. So what if you have more than two jobs trying to make ends meet? So what if you are heartbroken? So what if you feel depressed? So what if you are alone, feeling alone and abandoned? So what? My brothers and sisters, are we too like the crowd, when we have needs and the people who we're accustomed to having meet our needs are not quite available to us? Are we, are we then still pressing our way to get to them because we have a need no matter what they may be going through? I'm just asking the question. Do we still press our way because of our needs with no regards for them? So Jesus had an expectation that the people would understand that he needed a little time away. But brothers and sisters, Jesus' expectation 
turned out to be quite unrealistic. Now let's look at the people. The people, on the other hand, were quite clear in their expectation that Jesus would come and meet their needs. For the text tells us that Jesus now left out of the boat, he went ashore, met with the large crowd, and felt so much compassion for them that he what? He healed their sick. Even as Jesus was yet grieving himself, Jesus put aside his own needs, his own cares, his own concerns, got out of the boat, went ashore to the crowd, and met their needs. Jesus showed compassion to an uncompassionate crowd, thereby fulfilling the expectations of the people. So it turned out, after all, that the crowd's expectations were quite realistic. But Jesus' expectations was quite unrealistic. Are you tracking with me? Now, the text goes on further to tell us that evening was now upon them, which means that there were so many people that had needs that it took Jesus all day to meet these needs. Still grieving. Are you seeing Jesus? He's tired. He's heartbroken. He might have even been crying as he was healing somebody's eyes because his heart was broken for his own cousin, which, by the way, if you remember, was not that much older than him. If you go back to Luke, you remember Elizabeth, she had the baby leap in her womb when she came around Mary because the spirit was in utero. Jesus knew John the Baptist from they were kids. And here it is, John got beheaded. Jesus found out about it. You think Jesus is not hurt? He suffered just like we do. But now all these people still, ah, yeah, 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 John, John, John. This is what I want. So I can imagine Jesus in the midst of his own tears, in the midst of his own pain, saying, bring the little boy to me, or bring her to me, or bring him to me, while he's still nursing. Jesus was, as Henri Nguyen calls it, the wounded healer himself. So Jesus was at this all day. In fact, the text tells us that there were 5,000 men, right, which did not account for the women and children that were also there, right? Now, now, since we know that women are probably three times more likely to be in church than men, it's highly probable that there were 5,000 men and probably 15,000 women in the crowd. Now, if there's women in the crowd, there's probably going to be at least half that many children there as well. So my suspicion is that the crowd was somewhere around 27 to 30,000 people. That's my estimation. So the story is not really the feeding of the 5,000, but it's really the feeding of the 30,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For the text tells us that Jesus met a large crowd. right? So I want you to see the picture. This is a lot of people that are there. For Jesus. But be that as it may, Jesus was with this crowd all day, and it was now evening, and the people would be hungry. So the disciples approached Jesus with the problem. The disciples noticed, number one, that the place where they were was secluded. Remember, the text tells us that Jesus came here because he needed a secluded place. So the disciples noticed we're in an isolated, secluded place. That's the first thing the disciples noticed. The second thing they noticed was that the hour was now late. And the third thing they noticed, Sister Joy, was that the people were hungry. 
They noticed that the people were hungry. For no doubt, those 30,000 people were complaining to Jesus' disciples that what we're going to eat. Now, this is very interesting to me, church, and I always want us to see ourselves in the text. First, these people followed Jesus to a secluded place where they were not invited. They were not invited there. Second, they did not care that Jesus was grieving the death of his cousin, right? So they came to a place they were not invited, and they didn't care that Jesus was grieving for his dead cousin. Third, they had an expectation that Jesus would have compassion on them and that he would heal their sick. And now, now that they had completely interrupted Jesus' quiet self-care time, <laughs> they would now also have an expectation to be fed. You interrupted Jesus when you weren't invited. You have an expectation that he was going to meet your needs. You didn't care that Jesus was grieving. And now you expect him to feed you? On top of all of that, all 30,000 of you? Brothers and sisters, what this text is telling us about this people, and more importantly, what it's saying to us is that are we the kind of people that are just like that? Do we have expectations that after God has met some of our needs, even when we don't deserve it, that he is still obligated to meet our other needs as well? <laughs> do we have expectations that God will always do what we want just because we have a need? And here's where the rubber meets the road. Do we have an expectation that even when the church is in disrepair and is struggling to keep operating with reduced membership, especially after a devastating pandemic, that it should still be available to function on the level you want, even without your support? I'm just saying, what are our expectations? Not just of God, not just of the church, but also of each other, and more importantly, of ourselves. Are our expectations realistic, or are they unrealistic? I hope you all are hearing me. Brothers and sisters, if these are your expectations of God and the church, then I regret to have to inform you that they might be a little unrealistic and you are going to be disappointed. Yes, God may meet some of your needs, but he won't meet them all. Yes, God may meet you at some specific time of need, but sometimes he won't. And yes, the church will be there for you, but only when we can. This is the reality. For as much as we have compassion and as much as we want to always be there for you and for your family, the truth is we are not God and we can only go as far as you are willing to help us grow. <laughs> I do recognize 
that, that, that you must have some expectation of us even as the church, but they must be realistic. Otherwise, you will be disappointed in this pastor. You'll be disappointed in these ministers. You'll be disappointed in this ministry if you have unrealistic expectations. <laughs> but the text goes on to say, because I always like to paint the problem first. But the text goes on to say, watch this, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, the place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. What? This is now rather bizarre. The disciples approach Jesus with the problem, and this is his response. You give them something to eat? That's what Jesus said. It's in the text. Jesus, look at all these 30,000 people. They're hungry. Send them to the village. Let them go get some food. No, no, you give them something to eat. Huh? Jesus, are you kidding me? How are we supposed to do that? And I guess the better question for us, church, is what was Jesus' expectation of his disciples? Are you with me? What was his expectation? Did Jesus really expect that his disciples could feed 30,000 people? Was that Jesus' expectation? I mean, did Jesus really expect his disciples to be able to meet that kind of need? I mean, I'm wondering. And, and, and did Jesus really expect his disciples to be able to perform a miracle. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I hope you are too. This again seems to me like Jesus not only had an unrealistic expectation that the people were going to allow him time to grieve, it seemed like he also had another unrealistic expectation of these cruddy disciples. <laughs> I'm just saying. Furthermore, let's look at this from the disciples' perspective. Did they expect Jesus to be able to feed the 30,000 people? Ah, that's a good question. Did those disciples expect Jesus to be able to meet that need? And did they, those disciples, expect Jesus to perform a miracle? You see, the expectation works both ways. Well, I know the answer to the disciples' question. And the answer to their question is no. No. Yeah. If you read the text, no, they did not expect Jesus to feed the 30,000 people. No, they did not expect Jesus to be able to meet this need. And no, brothers and sisters, they did not expect Jesus to perform a miracle. How can you say that, pastor? How do you know that? These disciples know Jesus. How could you say they didn't expect Jesus to meet this need? The answer lies in what they said to Jesus. Send the people away to the villages to buy food for themselves. The disciples had no expectation that Jesus could or would do anything about the people's hunger. To be quite honest, church, I, have, I would have been on the side of the disciples, yes, for this one as well. 
My mind does not afford me the opportunity to see such a possibility. Sure, I believe in miracles and that God can do anything. But for me, things have to be realistic and things have to make sense. For the truth is, as much as I want for us to have a fully restored parsonage, for as much as I want us to have a sprinkler system for the church, for as much as I want us to have a refurbished annex or newly paved parking lot or even new car in the sanctuary or even new flooring in the fellowship hall the fact is I can't see it happening outside of you all wanting it more than I do sure I have hope that these things can be accomplished according to God's will and according to God's own good pleasure. But my realistic expectation tells me that it's only when God's people have enough faith to move in the direction to see a thing happen will God step in. Unless you, by faith, believe in the possibility and have an expectation beyond what you can see, then God will not do the miraculous. You need to have great expectations. So now let's go back to Jesus in the text. I hope you all are walking with me. Let's go back to Jesus in the text. What was Jesus's realistic expectation of his disciples? Did Jesus really expect that his disciples could feed the 30,000 people? No. Did Jesus really expect his disciples to be able to meet the needs of these people? No. Did Jesus really expect his disciples to perform a miracle? No. So what are we missing? What was Jesus' realistic expectation? <laughs> well, let's revisit the text and see if we can learn something focusing on what Jesus actually did. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Do you see the issue? I don't know if you caught it. Look again carefully with me at what the disciples said to Jesus. This is so good. And I'm paraphrasing this part. Jesus, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. That's what they said, right? <clears throat> the disciples not only came to Jesus with the problem, they also came to him with their solution to the problem. Y'all don't see it. Jesus, send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Who? on earth do they think they are telling Jesus, the master, what to do? <laughs> Where and when in all of scripture 
do we ever get the right to tell Jesus what to do? Jesus, the hour is late. The people are hungry. Send them into the village and let them buy food for themselves. Brothers and sisters, we're talking about the Messiah, the anointed one. We're talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're talking about the way, the truth, and the life. We're talking about the good shepherd who cares for the sheep. We're talking about the vine, the wonderful counselor. We're talking about Emmanuel, God with us. We're talking about the bread of life. And the bread of heaven who will feed us until we want no more. Brothers and sisters, we're talking about Jesus. <laughs> and, and, and there's a very big difference between asking Jesus for help and telling him how to help. And to take it a step further, just in case you're wondering, we're talking about El Shaddai, the all-powerful God. We're, we're talking about El Olam, the everlasting eternal God. We're talking about Elohim, the supreme God. And we're talking about El Roi, the God who sees. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus knows our needs even before we come to him. <laughs> so it was presumptuous of the disciples to present him with a problem and then proceed to tell him what to do in order to solve the problem. Brothers and sisters, to be clear, Jesus is God all by himself. He needs no help from you. He needs no help from me. And he surely, surely need not me to tell him how to be God. So, so the disciples not only had a low expectation of themselves, but they had a low expectation of Jesus as well. And lest you think this message is about the disciples only, this message is about you and me. For how many times have you or I gone to God in prayer? And said things like, Lord, fix my credit. Lord, change my wife or change my husband. Lord, get me a job. Lord, and this is going to be hard, heal my body. Now, these are all very reasonable requests. But did you notice that in each of these examples, none of them acknowledges the will of God? What if it's not God's will to fix your credit? What if it's not God's will to change your wife or your husband? What if it's not God's will for you to get a job? What if it's not God's will to heal your body? What if it's God's will 
for you to be in the predicament you're in for the lesson you need to learn because you didn't listen the other 50 times when he tried to help you. Is he still God when he doesn't meet the need you have? Brothers and sisters, then I am telling you, if your will is not aligned with God's will, then guess what? Not only do you have unrealistic expectations, but you're going to be very, very disappointed in God. The church needs to tell the people the truth. Because we go to God trying to tell God how to be God. So, much like the disciples, we need to learn how to discern the will of God. And after doing so, petition him with fear and humility. Asking for his divine grace over the problems we have. And then let him be God. For while we have genuine needs, brothers and sisters, and while the disciples were legitimately concerned for the people, they, very much like us, could not see beyond their limitations. And hear this. Whenever, hear me, church. I'm going to pause for effect. Whenever you argue for your limitations, you get to keep them. When you argue for your limitations, the what you cannot do, then you will continue to not do what you would like to do. When you argue for your limitations, you get to keep them. But Jesus, <laughs> But Jesus, Anthony, but Jesus, who is great in compassion and mercy, says to the disciples, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. And ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took five loaves, hallelujah, and two fish. Yes. And the text tells us he, he, he then blessed them as he looked toward heaven. Yes. And breaking the loaves, he gave them now, look to who? To the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate, here's a text, besides women and children. <laughs> Jesus said to the disciples, I just love Jesus. Y'all don't even understand how gangster Jesus really is. I'm telling you, Jesus, when Jesus says, you feed them. Jesus had an expectation knowing that they couldn't do it. But Jesus says, you, are, you, you see, <laughs> let me digress for a moment. The reason why Jesus told them to feed them was because he wanted them to get to the place where they recognized their limitation. He wanted them to get to the place where they could see that what they were asking, they couldn't do. 
Unless you get to the place where you understand that you have gotten to the end of yourself and you've gone as far as you can go. People in this world and in this church have this arrogant disposition that think that they can do all these things. And sometimes God has to humble us. Amen. Oh, so you think you can do this all by yourself? Go ahead. You think you, think you got it like that? Okay, go ahead. That's what Jesus was doing. Oh, oh, you, 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 you do it. You go ahead. And then when you realize that you can't, then you have no choice but to come to the altar on a Sunday at Allen Temple and cry out to the God when you've come to the end of yourself. And Jesus will meet you where you are. Because Jesus said to the disciples, you feed them. But did you notice the turn of events? He actually let them feed them. Because when you humble yourself before God, the very thing that you want to do, he will now give you the opportunity to actually do. Wow. How can people not love Jesus? I don't understand. So I began this message as I prepare to close by asking three questions, if you recall. How do we know when our expectations are unrealistic? The second question I asked was, how do we set realistic expectations? And furthermore, finally, number three, I asked, upon what should those expectations be based? And the singular answer to all three questions is faith. And not just any faith, but great faith. Your expectations are unrealistic when you lack faith. <laughs> you set realistic expectations when you have faith. And your expectations must always be based on faith. For if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this or any mountain in your life, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And if you do not doubt in your heart, but shall believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, then you shall have whatsoever you say. That's faith. And faith, brothers and sisters, is what I have called the great expectation. For great expectations looks up, not down. Great expectations is about tomorrow, not yesterday. Great expectations is about what can and will be, not what was or what happened and great expectations is about <laughs> a resurrection not a death Jesus had great expectations that even greater things than what he did you and I will do but the question is do you doubt for if you doubt that every time you go to bat like Pete Rose if you're not expecting to get a hit, you might as well stay Amen. in the dugout. Jesus had an expectation when he hung on that cross. And his great expectation was that he would rise again in three days. What people expected from Jesus is the same thing they expect from him today. What Jesus expected from his disciples 
is the same thing he expects from his church today. So, what are you expecting from Jesus? If nothing, then hear me as the pastor. If you're not expecting anything from Jesus, then go into the village and find food for yourself. But if you have great expectations of him, by faith, then he promises you the gift of eternal life despite your natural hungers and appetites. And if you are willing to give him what you have and place it into his hands, which, by the way, is your heart. If you place your heart into his hands, then you get to watch him use you to be a blessing to multitudes. Jesus, Jesus is the bread of life. And you and I are the instruments of his grace. And that to me is my great expectation. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.